Okay, cook. Underestimated and still I made it. In the book of hard knocks, I'm highly educated. Nobody told me looked over, but still dedicated. Played in the league for 13, I ain't gotta be favored. Two Super Bowls, Honolulu, I stood with the greatest. The thing is this, if never rich, I'm good with my neighbors. DB precision, television, ain't asked for no favors. Numbers don't lie, neither do pictures, just look in the papers. No backing down or turning back, part two of the movie. Never the biggest, but it takes more than two just to move me. Ain't gotta like what I'm saying, just respect it, it's honest. Run through opponents, watch the film, it's affected by promise. Sit back and grab your popcorn, watch me go to work. And tackle all of these topics right here on Face First. Uh. What up, what up? So this is um, a different episode of Face First. And I know that people see me and they enjoy the laughs and you enjoy... Uh, some of the entertainment, and I hope that this eventually becomes entertaining too. But it was something that struck me uh, a week ago. Um, I'm watching Around the Horn, and I'm seeing the the different things that they post. And Pablo Torre and Mina Kimes had an opportunity to speak on violence against Asian Americans. Obviously, in Georgia, you had uh, an individual attack three different spas or, or parlors and you know six of the eight people killed were asian american or asian women and now you're hearing pablo torre and mina kimes who are the largest voices in sports for asians at least on on espn or probably probably in in, in america and they have an opportunity to say how there are asian americans who walk around in fear there are times that guys like Jeremy Lin has to be called coronavirus in the G League. And I know we're going to sit there and we're going to say, oh, that's sports and, and it's awful. But we also have to remember that there was a time that the highest office in the free world was calling it the China virus. And so does that give other people an opportunity or does that give other people an excuse to say that? Hell no. Right. If, if, if you're Jeremy Lin, you have to fight to not punch dude in the face. Right. So it doesn't make it OK because someone else is doing it. But when someone at that high of an office has that level of disrespect for an entire group of people, it only shows what they can go through on a daily basis on lower levels. And so to have an opportunity to listen to them, to have an opportunity to to hear them out and uh, uh, appreciate what they were saying, because now you can relate it to the African-American struggle. You can relate it to the African-American existence. It made me think. Representation matters. Having a voice in the room matters. Having a voice to, to give the public an insight, to give the public an in-depth look at what a certain thing is, is important. And now we, 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 we circle that back around and we start to think about the rash of Asian hate crimes that we've gotten over the last year and a half, up 150% before then, the things that have happened during COVID. And now what's dominated the, the talk during COVID is obviously Black Lives Matter. When you think of, of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Jacob Blake, um, there was obviously the pandemic. And so we hear so much about COVID and the numbers and the disparity in different communities. Um, and now, obviously, the vaccines and how those are being dispersed. But during that time, the Asian community 
has been under siege. And if you're one of those really silly people like myself, who mostly gets his news from Twitter and from sports television, you're, you're, you're hearing it, but you're not feeling it until one of your own, someone you respect, someone you have genuine love and care for says, you know what? You need to be a part of this. You need to understand that myself, people that look like me, people that come from the same place that I come from, people of my culture are scared. And so if you are on the side of right, right, which many African-American, which many black people who have voices, who've had an opportunity to speak up for their communities, had an opportunity to speak up for their cultures, we have said we are a part of being on the side of right. Well, the side of right is to stand up for our Asian American, for our Asian brothers and sisters and say, you know what? What they are going through isn't right. What they are going through is akin to the same things that we feel like African Americans have gone through. They just don't have the voices in sports, in American sports. They don't have LeBron James. They don't have Patrick Mahomes. And so in those situations, the LeBron Jameses, the Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, sometimes we need not those people in particular. I'm not calling those guys out. They're just the two biggest names in their sport who have been extremely outspoken, extremely relevant, extremely huge in the participation of elevating black lives. Like we need those type of people to stand up in this case as well. And so when I hear a guy like Jeremy Lin talk about a, a bamboo ceiling, or Pablo Torre and him having a conversation that says, you know what, your entire life because of sports, because of the way that being Asian is seen, you have had to fight that stereotype and do your best to step away from, step away from being as Asian as you possibly can, right? So you'll be accepted. For Jeremy Lin say, so I can be on the team, so I can get minutes, so I can even get on the court, so I can even get the ball. Like that's what, that's what they're dealing with. And so you step away from that and you try to be as far away from that as you possibly can. And then you have to realize that, hold on, wait, here in America, in, in where we are in 2021, leading out of 2020, when my people are under siege, no, I need to be as Asian as possible. I need them to be able to look at me, to look at my success, to have value on my life, to have value on my experience, to have value on my journey enough to where you'll listen to me and the things that I go through being Asian. And now the other people who don't have the voice I have, you'll look at them and understand that they're going through it and you will do something. You will say something. You will some way, somehow, and find a place in your heart to empathize and say, you know what? I understand what you, are, what you are going through, so I need to say something. And it didn't truly hit me, even as I'm, even as I'm reading and I'm seeing the things that they're going through. And I'm going to be honest, anytime I see something, whether it's one of my colleagues, whether it's from anywhere, if it needs to be a hashtag, if it needs to be reposted, if it needs to be posted on my story, if it needs to be retweeted, yeah, I'm doing it, but what else am I doing? Am I actually looking into the numbers? Am I actually looking into what is happening? Am I actually listening to the voices that have more experience than I do and saying, okay, I now understand here is what I can do. And I wasn't. But that's why representation matters. 
Because without that representation, without Pablo Torre, without Mina Kimes, without Jeremy Lin, who, let's be honest, are not only the minority or a minority in our country, they're a minority in the sports or in the jobs they participate in. And so if we don't have that valuable voice that somehow made it through, that somehow elevated to this point, then we don't have these discussions. But that's why representation matters. That's why them being a part of their culture, them understanding their culture, them embracing their culture, loving their culture, and being able to give it to us in a way that we understand it is extremely important. And so to Pablo Torre, to Mina Kimes, to Jeremy Lin, I say thank you. Because you, you made a conversation that was already happening in your communities, louder in my communities, that said, hey, RC, you need to check this out. You need to understand that the name calling, that the discrimination, that the racism, that the hate, that the evil, that the, the, the unwarranted punishment, that the violence that you experience, that you fight for so hard or that you fight against so hard in your community happens in their communities too. They just don't have as loud of voices, so they may need yours. But it only happens if they're represented. It only happens if you can hear them. That only happens if they're given a, given a microphone and a platform and an opportunity to share their experiences. And it only happens if we truly listen and we truly care. And so you can't just make Stop Asian Hate a hashtag. You got to make it something that you truly feel, you truly understand, and you do your part. You do your part and not, not allowing it around you. You do your part in not allowing it in your families, not allowing it in your cultures, not allowing it in your actions, whether you think it's a joke or not, because it's not a joke. Because the stereotypes are not funny to everyone. But without having those voices, we don't hear it. And so then you listen to Mina Kimes and she talks about many of the acts of hate being against women. And now you roll that over into the NCAA tournaments. And obviously, this all started, started with Sedona Prince and, you know, her giving us a, a view into the differences of the, the weight rooms, right? Of, of the boys having this plush and where, where there's squat racks and there's, and there's different type of, of rubber plates where you have dumbbells, where you have benches, where you have everything that you could possibly need to stay healthy, to stay, to prehab, to rehab, to train, to be ready to really embark on the greatest adventure in college sports, which is the NCAA tournament, you have all that if you're the men. But the women's weight room is some yoga mats, a table, and dumbbells. And now we've gotten these inspiring stories and these inspiring posts of the women saying, you know what, no weight room, no problem. You know, working in hallways, TRX bands, and bands strapped to the top of, of doors. And you have all these things. And like, that junk's cool, but that junk shouldn't happen. Like, it's cool to see, right? It's cool to see the women who we've watched throughout the WNBA, who we've watched throughout the NCAA, who we've watched throughout our entire lives overcome adversity, overcome obstacles, overcome the male machismo and ego that continues to keep them down or continues to keep them in this box that says they're not as good or they're not as important or the statistics that point to the money and to the different things that are brought in to say, you know what, we don't have to treat you a certain way. Like we've continued to see them overcome, right? And then even with that, we saw the WNBA change the culture of social injustice by standing together at every opportunity they could in the bubble. 
by the words and by their actions and by using their voices to the highest of their power, whether it was opting out, if you're Maya Moore, to opting out to, to, to get people who, or to get a person who was in jail unjustly out of jail and saying, okay, I will forego playing basketball to live in my truth, to live in my passion, whatever it is, they always step up and they're always in the forefront, yet always treated and always put on the back burner. And so you can say, okay, yeah, it just makes sense. Okay, they don't, they don't have a weight room, but what about branding, right? What, what about the March Madness branding that is so prevalent in men's basketball that is not prevalent the same way in women's, right? Or food quality or COVID testing, or even in the final four, if you look at the final four logo for the men, it just says final four, but for the women, it is, it is noted that it is the women's final four. So if I'm just looking at these things and I say, okay, this is the final four, there's only one, right? The one final four is the final four that the men has. That's the only one they care about. It doesn't say men's final four and women's final four now, so we both have them. No, what it says is final four and women's finals four. So there's the real finals four, final fours, final four, and then there's the final four that the women play. And so now Congress is involved because Congress wants to know about the difference in these weight rooms. But we have to have voices like Candace Parker. We have to have voices like Rebecca Lobo. We have to have voices like Diana Taurasi, Sue Bird, all of these other women that have done great things on the college level, on the pro level, who have succeeded and now transcended their sport. We see them as, as movements. We see them as powerful. We see them as transcendent. We see them as outside of just being basketball players. Their voices carry weight. And so now we get to listen to them. We get to listen to the Dawn Staley's, who is one of my favorite basketball players of all time, period. Candace Parker, one of my favorite basketball players of all time, period. And now you get to hear these voices and you get to hear them speak about the way that these women, young women are right now being mistreated and the way that women have been mistreated or the way that women have been put on the back burner in sports throughout history. And now let's think of this. We're, we think about money brought in by specific sports, whether it's men and women, College players don't get any of that money. So if they're not getting any of that money, it shouldn't matter in the level in which we treat them. We should treat them all as student athletes. Because if they aren't getting paid, then they are all at the school to do the same thing. And they are all doing the same thing at the school with their time, with their efforts, with their talents. So why wouldn't we treat them the same way? Just because they're women? But that's why representation matters. That's why the voices in the room are important. The voices outside the room are important because we need to be able to hear them. We need to be able to live in their experiences and understand ways that it needs to be changed and then act on it being changed. Act on it being different. Because we can't be for one right and not be for all right. But that's why representation matters. That's why value matters. We have to value experience. We have to value education. We have to value study. It's not just that they've lived through it. It's that in living through it and driving through it and working through it and overcoming through it, we now have an opportunity to hear the start of the issues, how you fight through the issues, and a solution to end the issues. But that's only if we give these voices opportunities to be heard. That's only if we understand and show them the type of deference, the type of understanding, or, the, or we step back enough from them to say, you know what? You've been through it. Educate me. And then educate me. Help me learn. Help me be better. 
And so those things are extremely important when we're looking at the different opportunities or the, the different issues in sports in life. And so all of this got me thinking and it brought me to my job. It brought me to my culture, which I'm extremely happy to be a part of. There's never been a day in my life, even with being looked at as less than sometimes or, or being looked at as, you know what, you are the minority, you are not as important as this group of people. I've never wanted to be anything but black. I'm okay with that. And so being that I'm excited or being that I'm, um, I'm comfortable, being that I'm more than content, being that I'm proud to be African-American, when I get an opportunity to speak about it, I want to represent black people the right way. I want to, or I enjoy, or I'm encouraged by walking through the airport and having people say, hey man, you speak for the culture. Or hey man, like in the places that, that, that I live, my friends, we all love what you do as a black man. Now, I do understand, like I don't do TV for black people. I do TV for everybody. And it's not that I don't want white people, Latino Americans, uh, Asian Americans to connect with what I'm saying about my sport. But it's so much more than just the sport. When you think about 2020 and the opportunities that I had to speak up for my people, to give a perspective on what it's like to be African American in this time, on what it's like to deal with the day-to-day -day responsibility or the day-to-day the -day obligations of being African-American and being accomplished and being successful and having this platform, I relished in that opportunity to do so because my culture made me. My experiences made me. And because my experiences made me, I have a responsibility to those experiences, to those people that brought me through that, to those people who educated me and who held me when I was dealing with difficult decisions or I was dealing with difficult adversity and obstacles, I have a responsibility to those people. But I've said it many times on this podcast in life, those people weren't just black to me. There are still coaches, there are still friends, there are still people I consider brothers and sisters who I lived life with and went through life with who aren't black. And the thing about those people, when they looked at me, when I looked at them, it wasn't about color, but they understood how color played a part in my life. I understood how it played a part in their lives. And that's how we came together to say, you know what? We know what this side is. We know what that side is. I want to hear about yours and be a part of your journey. And he wanted to hear about mine or she wanted to hear about mine and be a part of my life. And that's the way we learned. And so now I can know the good. I can know the bad. I can know the indifferent of each side. And when I get an opportunity to speak about these things, when I get an opportunity to share about these things, I can share from my perspective, but also from the learned perspective of knowing that everybody ain't on the side of wrong just because they don't look like me. And so you think about the closeness of these minority groups, of the Asian Americans, of the Latino Americans, which is largely prevalent in baseball here in America, um, of the Asian Americans. Obviously, as I talk about Pablo and I talk about Mina and I talk about Jeremy Lin and the things that I've learned from them recently. You look, you look back at the NCAA tournament and we hear all the prevalent voices or all the powerful voices of the women who were part of the NCAA tournament. And then you think about what they go through now, you know, and I think 
real quickly to a story of Shaq telling Candace Parker, who has dunked in many basketball games, in, in basketball dunk contests, in practice, who we know to be one of the more athletic women or most athletic women to have ever played the sport, right? One of the most accomplished women that, hey, maybe if you lowered the, game, the goal, it would be more exciting. No, I can dunk. Maybe if you looked at the game and understood it for what it was and you realized and recognized that the skill that the women's game is played at is largely from lower levels to higher level, a higher level of skill on a consistent basis than men's basketball, then you can love it for what it is. We got to stop wishing for things to be different, love them for what they are, and then also love the voices of those people for what they've accomplished through their own sport with the obstacles and adversities and the roadblocks that are in their way. Because if we see the, the sport through that prism, we now see the people through that perspective and we get an understanding of what they're going through. Because everybody got some crap to deal with. Everybody has their stuff, right? If you're an Asian American, you're trying to explain to me uh, the way that Asian hate is affecting you. If you're a Latino American, you're trying to explain to me the way that that hate is affecting you, the way that that discrimination is affecting you, the box that they're putting you in, the way that that limits your opportunities, right? If you're a woman, you're trying to show me that we're doing the same thing. We're putting in the same effort, but we aren't getting the same things back. What we give is not what we get. If you're African-American, you're talking about the, dis the discrimination and the oppression that has plagued you since you were brought here and the things that you're dealing with and why, and why you can't understand how people don't understand their racism, their hate, their evil, and the way that it affects you. And let's be real. If you're a white person, you're sitting here every day trying to explain to all of these groups how you aren't oppressing them. How you have no racism, how you have no hate, how you have no evil, how you're not trying to force violence on them just simply because of their skin color. Which to those type of those groups of people or because of their gender to those groups of people, you're not going to be able to explain history away. Only what you're doing individually. But that's where we are. And so then now I think about doing my job and these two instances, which are very, which are very recent, which are very new which to me don't intertwine at all, but seem to intertwine for people who want to attack the culture of what we do, who want to attack the biases or non-biases of what we do, or want to attack the protection of what we feel in our communities. And I'll explain it to you. Yes, I feel a responsibility to my community, to my culture, to people that look like me, to not only speak up for them, but to protect them at times. And the place that this seems to intersect for people of the world right now is Chad Wheeler and Deshaun Watson, which are two totally different situations. But our situations, I feel. You look at Chad Wheeler, he beat a young African-American woman to, into, within inches and breaths of her life, and I didn't talk about it at all on TV. I got into my get up meeting, it wasn't on the rundown, I didn't say anything. I looked at the first take, the first take rundown, it wasn't on there, I didn't say anything. The 12 o'clock sports center, I didn't say anything. One, because I understood how the news cycle works. I understood that it's not necessarily about domestic violence and that we want to stop domestic violence holistically as an NFL, but I understood that that goes to the people that it deals with, that nobody knew who Chad Wheeler was, no one cared who he was, and in not caring and in not knowing who he was, it wasn't a big story, so it's something we wouldn't lead with or that's something that wasn't important. I understood that. On the other side of that, I also understood that 
if this was a black man and if they decided that they didn't want to put it in the rundown, I probably wouldn't be forcing them to do it. So to not be a hypocrite, I didn't force them to put Chad Wheeler out there like that. Because I said, if this was player X, who was also a black or African-American, no matter if it was a white woman or if it was a black woman or if it was an Asian woman or a Latino woman, I wouldn't be forcing them to talk about it because I would be looking to protect that player. But I was wrong because I should be protecting women as well, especially black women. And Marcus Spears, who is my colleague, who is my friend, who is my brother, showed me that because it wasn't in the NFL live rundown, but he made sure he got an opportunity to talk about it and talk about it eloquently and talk about it from a place of experience, but a place of protection and a place of understanding that, you know what, if this was a black player and he was good, it would be talked about. If this was, if this is any black woman or woman, a woman, uh, period, she should be protected. I didn't do that. And for that, I am ashamed because where I thought I was protecting my culture in one way, I was letting my culture down in another and I had to be better. I have to be better. So now we move to Deshaun Watson, right? Now, facts of the case. We don't know what, if any, of these things are true. And in not knowing if what or any of these things are true, it is not the time for us to critique, judge, or speak on them and what it means for Deshaun Watson. Now, that also makes it feel like we are not speaking against sexual assault, which is awful, which should be prosecuted, not just civilly, right? It should be prosecuted criminally to the highest, to the highest punishment. But we can't do that until we know. And so now you're getting these people that come at you and they're saying, well, you had a lot to say about Chad Wheeler. Actually, I didn't. I didn't. I just actually spoke about it on Twitter when I saw that it was proven that it was done and I called him a monster because anyone that can put his hand, any man that puts his hand on any woman is a monster, period. Anyone who could beat someone into that type of, into that type of punishment, anyone who could do that to someone and inflict so much violence on them that they were within inches of their lives, that is a monster, no matter what color they are. I should have spoke on it more. But they're saying so, so many people had so much to say about Chad Wheeler, but we aren't speaking on Deshaun Watson. It's because we don't know. But when we know, it will be spoken on. Not because he's black, not because he's white, but because sexual, sexual assault is wrong. Because it's illegal. Because women should be protected against this type of thing. But see, these two things aren't the same. But because I am an African-American and because I do have this platform I have, because I have this job that I have, People who are on the opposite side of everything I've said, whether it be the Colin Kaepernick uh, protest against social injustice, whether it be the players protesting now, whether it be the George, the George Floyd uh, rallies and marches, the Black Lives Matter marches, they see all of those things and they say, oh, he's black, 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 black. So what are you going to say now? I'm going to say what I know when it's on the side of right. And yes, I am protective of my culture. Yes, I am protective of my people, but I'm on the side of right. No matter what color, no matter what religion, no matter what sexual orientation, no matter what gender, I'm on the side of the things that are right. I do know about my cultural bias. I do know about the level of protection I feel for people that look like me. But what we got to get to the point of understanding is because I love my people don't mean I don't love other people. It doesn't mean I wish bad on others. It doesn't mean I want you to come down so we could come up. I want you to stay up. I just want us to elevate too. And that's why every voice matters. The good, the bad, the great, 
the ugly. Every voice matters. That's why I have conversations with people who think differently from me. One of the most helpful conversations I had was with someone who voted for Donald Trump in 2016. And he talked to me about that vote and talked to me about never really having conversations of that vote with people that look like me or with black people because he didn't necessarily know how they would feel about him voting for Trump, not necessarily loving the man, but that being his political affiliations, but how he feels about the actual man. And I had that conversation and again in the conversation, I was like, it really doesn't matter to me. And I didn't say it, it doesn't matter to me. You voted for dude, you feel like dude, you think like dude, you love him. And I, and I was wrong, right? I'm smart enough to know that that's not the way to look at it, but that was what it was. How could you side with someone who speaks this way about people who don't look like him and not agree with those things? But I listened through that conversation and I learned through that conversation because it was a person that I respected. And that's what it's about. I'm often asked, why do you answer these questions on Twitter from people who say these mean things? Because there may be something I can learn from their perspective. Their perceptions of what I say or their perceptions of what the world looks like can teach me. And I want to learn from that. I want to learn from Pablo Torre. I want to learn from Mina Kimes. I want to learn from Jeremy Lin. I want to learn from Candace Parker. I want to learn from the people who say you should shut up when you're talking about Chad Wheeler, but you should speak up even before you know anything about Deshaun Watson because those things help me be better. Those things give me an education. Those things give me an understanding whether they're right, whether they're wrong, whether I believe in them or I don't. That's the only way we grow. But representation matters. At the lowest level, at the mid-level, at the highest level, the people we choose to let speak, the voices we choose to listen to, they need to be diverse. They need to be from different cultures, from different socioeconomic standing. They need to be from different countries. They need to be from different states. They need to be from different genders. Because if we just hang around what we know, if we just hang on to what is comfortable for us, we will never grow, we will never expand our boundaries, and we will never all be one. And if we can't find a way to be one, if we keep spinning our wheels in the same place, we will be stuck in the mud forever, and I am tired of being dirty. So let's listen, let's be grateful, let's understand, and let's act. This was important to me that you heard not only what my voice had to say, but what the voices that I'm listening to are now telling me. This is Face First with Ryan Clark. Please check us out.